Hey everyone. We want to start today's episode on a more serious note as this episode deals with some heavy and mature content. Today's episode will be focusing on mental health, so we need to give everyone a trigger warning. Anya and I will at times mention personal things about ourselves as well as be speaking about mental health overall. This is an issue that is very near and dear to both of our hearts, and it is important that we mention that if you or anyone you know is in crisis, please seek help and support as soon as possible. Every single one of you is important and you deserve to be here. We would also like to add that although we will be sharing personal anecdotes about how mental health issues have impacted us directly, this is not an invitation for people to bring this up to us out of the blue in our DMs or whenever you see us next. If there was something that is brought up that you feel the need to speak with us about, please check in with us before proceeding with questions, as some days we are capable of speaking candidly about our past and some days we are not. We appreciate your respect and understanding in advance. to Gemini Placements. This is not a regular episode. Definitely not. Uh, Well, you know what? Let's not fuck around. Let's not waste any time. This is a conversation that just needs to happen. Conversation that I want to have with you, Sam. Honestly, since the inception of our podcast, this is an episode that we have been meaning to make. We've given you guys a pretty heavy trigger warning. It was all Samantha who wrote it out. So thank you. One more time, if you're feeling delicate today, if your heart is hurting, if you feel like listening to a conversation about mental health, mental illness, suicide, things, anecdotes about our past is too much for you. We're not going to be offended if you skip this episode. We have lots of other episodes that will hopefully make you laugh and entertain you. There's no astrology today. We're just going to keep it real. The only jokes in here are going to be awkward, dark humor because we're talking about some serious shit. So if that's what you want to listen to today, then this is it. And if not, then we'll see you on episode eight or (laughs) unless that one's fucked up too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll make episode eight lighthearted. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Hi everybody. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the vicious and horrible thing that is Bell Let's Talk Day. You know, Bell wants us to talk, so we're going to fucking talk. January 30th is probably... One of the most dreaded days of the year for me. Every time Bellet's Talk Day comes up, I'm just like cringing the whole week leading up to it. That day, I can't even be on social media because I'm just exhausted by the amount of free advertising that we give to a company who does not actually care. And it's really painful to witness. And I, I'm in the same boat as you. And, you know, Sam is one of the only people in my life that I can rage about with this because, yeah. And, you know, before you guys are like, why are you shitting on a day that's providing mental health exposure and, you know, still providing funds for mental health incentives? We just, we really want you guys to know that this is something that's near and dear to our heart because we both struggle and have struggled most of our lives, the majority of our lives with mental illness. You know, mental illness is pretty much my entire life. It affects almost every single close person in my, in my life. Yeah. I mean, I would say the majority of my life, I have 
struggled with my mental health. I think I, I can think back to being as early as 12 years old and not being in a good place. I think everybody I know struggles with it in some way. Um, some people struggle with it more than others just based on their own life experiences and you know whether they were able to get support when they needed it or not. Um, so it is something that we're both extremely passionate about because we've seen the way it's affected the people that we care about. So when somebody, a company like Bell comes along and they basically just offer, offer lip service, ultimately that's what they're doing. Uh, it, it really feels like a giant slap in the face to all of the struggles I've experienced, all of the struggles Anya's experienced, all of the struggles I've watched, so many people I care about experience. Yeah, well put, Sam. And uh, I'm having a really hard time being vulnerable. So I'm glad you took over there. You know, most of my life, I have struggled with mental illness, um, anxiety and depression. And as I mentioned in a previous episode in um, 2015, I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Before that, I was already diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder I grew up with in poverty with two very mentally ill parents. And unfortunately, one of them lost their fight to their mental illness. And um, my father took his own life uh, on November 3rd, 2012. So I just want to get that out of the way and out in the open before anybody is like, what the fuck are you talking about? What authority do you have to make comments on this? I'm going to be vulnerable as fuck with you guys today and just tell you how much this shit hurts when you've lived through this. Yeah. Um, of you. Whew, thanks. That was not easy. I'm like sweating and shit. And then just one more warning before we get into it. Cause why not? If I make a joke of something, it's just my coping mechanism. Most traumatized people will deal with really sensitive subjects with humor. And that's always worked for me. So if Sam and I are like howling, laughing at something, we're not making light. We're not trivializing a situation. We're just, we're just processing it when dealing with it. So please bear with us. Please listen to this episode with an open heart and an open mind. Um, so Sam, do you want to kind of explain what Bell Lots Let's Talk Day is to our listeners who aren't in Ontario, aren't in Canada? Uh, so Bell Let's Talk Day is uh, January 30th every year. The Bell company, the, the telecommunications company tweets out if you retweet us, if you text somebody with the hashtag Bell Let's Talk, if you post something with Bell Let's Talk for every tweet, message, whatever, we will donate five cents to mental health initiatives and mental health research. Whole nickel. And a whole nickel. nickel they're going to give. Uh, yeah. So Bell, Bell will donate five cents for every call and text on their network just on their network, on the Bell Network. I'll have you guys know. There's one thing I actually just read this morning, which blew my mind just because you said the whole thing about on their network. It's a very good point. On their network, but also if you send an iMessage, they don't count iMessages. It has to be a text message. There are so many messages that you think you're sending out that aren't being counted. You're just giving them free advertising. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. The iMessage thing, I, I didn't even know. So that discounts every Apple user already, but it, it's as well. If, if you use their Facebook frame, their Snapchat filter, if you use a hashtag on um, Twitter, which is hashtag bell, let's talk, please don't use it. If you use it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now on TikTok, they're now on TikTok getting lit with the Gen Z's. 
I just, it just like, it just keeps going. And I just, I mean, like I get how it keeps going because I get that they've got brilliant minds on their marketing teams to like figure this out. And, you know, they're tugging on people's heartstrings. Like you found a topic that does affect every single person in the world in some way or another. So it's like, it's brilliant and also so manipulative. It's sinister. That's the word I yeah. kept writing down. It's all over my notes. <laughs> and yes. so to this date, they've raised about $113 million for mental health initiatives. And that like sounds good, you know, and stuff like that. People are like, well, well what's wrong with Bell Let's Talk Day? And it's much easier to say what's what's right with it. And it's the, this money. Arguably, why is that money coming from a corporation and not our government? And And also the exposure. Yes, we do need to talk about mental health, but maybe not like this. It's maybe not under Bell's terms. Um, but I went on their website and I was like, well, what are they actually doing for mental health? And I went on uh, our incentives on the Bell website and they presented their four pillars, the four pillars of Bell Let's Talk. So let's fucking talk about those four pillars. Oh my God. And just within a minute on that website, I was already sweating, raging. I had diarrhea. Look, we're going to overshare. It's going to go all the way. <laughs> Do you know what their first pillar is, Sam? No. I actually ready? avoid that website like the plague. <laughs> all right. We'll take a deep breath. Keep that vein at bay because we got a long episode today. The first pillar is anti-stigma. I can't. Just the biggest eye roll right now. I just... I can't. Okay, so I went on Google and I Googled the definition of stigma, the official Oxford dictionary definition. And it's the root word is stigmata. Okay. It's a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. I don't know why, like if you actually put the word stigma into Google, which I did to look up what it meant, Every single hit always has mental health next to it. And I don't know why we can't just call it what it is, which is fucking discrimination, which means the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people or things, especially on the grounds of race, age, or sex. Like, why doesn't mental illness fit in here? Are people not denied jobs or housing or opportunities or help? or a listening ear, or sympathy, empathy, anything because of their mental fucking illness. Like, why do we have to just reduce it to a stigma? Like, socks and sandals are a fucking stigma. Like, black cats on Halloween are fucking metalheads. There's a stigma. Like, someone having fucking psychotic depression, schizophrenia, this is beyond stigma. Like, we literally fucking discard people because of their struggle. It really just set me off right away. And you know, speaking of discrimination right away, it's like you look on their website and their campaign is just entirely full of like able-bodied, healthy looking, you know, attractive white people, which are not the people that are, you know, obviously everybody struggles with mental illness, but it's so disproportionately more common in marginalized communities, people who are disabled, people who, who are extremely poor. To have someone walk on the street and not see themselves represented even by a mental health campaign, like how fucking painful and crushing is that when already everyday society tells you that you're a burden and they don't want you? 
you know, so I guess they're trying to reduce this fucking stigma by having these conversations online. And they're like endorsed by, of course, our government, Ontario government, uh, can, you know, our federal government, Justin Trudeau sucks Bell's dick so hard. Um, <laughs> Shania fucking Twain and Celine Dion. And, you know, and for 24 hours, people just fucking fill and fill and fill social media like the actual platform that is causing (laughs) and contributing to mental illness just fill it with word vomit you know about anecdotes about their mental health struggles to throw a nickel in the fucking miserly cup of what is mental health support in this country in this province and we do advertising for this multi-billion corporation that gives zero fucks about you, about anybody, and especially about marginalized people, people struggling with their mental health, you know? And, 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 and is it a conversation? Like, are people actually having conversations because posting something, putting a hashtag and getting a bun- bunch of likes and heart emojis and shares, like, what are we discussing? Exactly. Exactly. And like, the other thing that like really gets to me is that this conversation only ever only ever goes as far as anxiety and depression. Like it never goes deeper than that. And that's the one of the things that like really gets to me and maybe it's for selfish reasons because like full disclosure I was diagnosed with complex post traumatic stress disorder and borderline personality disorder a few years ago and getting diagnosed with BPD was extremely helpful in my healing process and at the same time became a detriment in some ways. I have many friends who work in healthcare and uh, one of my girlfriends recently actually maybe within the last like in 2020 told me that you know the hospital that she works at there were some nurse practitioners that were talking shit about a client that had borderline personality disorder. The moment that person it's called a personality disorder. I feel like the stigma just, or the discrimination or whatever, it just like amps up of like a ton. I like when I was diagnosed, the psychiatrist who diagnosed me was like, maybe you don't want to tell a therapist that you have BPD. Maybe you want to focus on the fact that you have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And her reasoning behind it was, is that BPD is essentially the react is like my body's way, my brain's way of processing the complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's my reactions to it. So they are, can be considered one and the same almost. Her point was, is that there's so much stigma still around BPD that I might get rejected by therapists because therapists don't want to take on clients who have BPD because there's still so much misunderstanding around that. And she was, she suggested basically that like that part of my diagnosis, I kind of just keep to myself because people don't understand it. And it's going to be a long time before people really do understand it. And I'm going to hear some horrible things about myself that aren't true because people just don't understand. And I bought a bunch of self self-help books shortly after my diagnosis. And there's one book that is specifically, it is quite popular uh, among people who have BPD. It's called, I hate you. Don't leave me. I've, you know, I've heard lots of people talk about it and they really, really enjoyed the book. And that book for me, when I was reading it made me so depressed. It made me feel like there was no hope for recovery. There was no end in sight. I was going to constantly struggle for the rest of my life. And this was supposed to be a self-help book for people with borderline personality disorder. And 
I, it just like when people talk about mental health and they only talk about anxiety and depression, I'm just like, you're just, you're scratching the surface of pain for people because there's so much. And like, not that I think that the DSM is a great resource, but in the DSM, there's almost 300 disorders listed and anxiety and depression are two, two disorders. So like, there's so much more out there that we're not talking about. Exactly. And there's like, that's so fucked up, Sam, you know, and when you think about there's, there's nothing really being talked about, about BPD, unless it's really fucking negative shit. And it's just, no one's taking the time to understand. And like, this is a perfect example of discrimination. This is beyond stigma. You're telling me that therapists will reject you for your mental illness. Like guys, listen to that. How is this okay? How is this just anti-stigma? What the fuck? Oh, it sets me off. It's so wrong. Here's the thing, right? Because people will, Bell wants us to have these conversations online. They want us to be open and candid and vulnerable, you know, to end this stigma. And the con- like the only acceptable conversations that people are allowed to have is that, oh, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression because imagine you post, you know, I have a personality disorder. I have manic episodes. You know, I grew up with a parent that would have full blown manic episodes, like throwing stuff off the balcony, setting fires. Like, I don't want to get into too many details, but police were called, you know, dark shit you're not going to post about that on your fucking Instagram where your boss is going to follow you. You know, that's not how we're going to end this thing. It's like, we, we need social change. It's not going to start with the individual. It's not going to make, it's not Sam's individual responsibility to convince this world that, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm getting tangled in my words, but I get what you're saying. It's not, it's not the, the person who's struggling with the mental health issues responsibility to convince everybody that they're worthy of support. They're worthy of help. They're worthy of understanding. Exactly. So imagine you, you log into your Facebook or your Instagram, or, or you're getting a bunch of texts and people are sharing and people are either saying, you know, this is my experience. And you're like, not, not to undermine anybody's experience of with anxiety and depression, like, oh, you're a basic mental illness level. Like, <laughs> you know, I read this quote, you know, human suffering, it's like a gas, you know, it, it, it gas will enter a room and it'll always fill it entirely, no matter how little or how much there is of it, it just spreads around. So before anybody feels like, you know, it starts comparing themselves, oh my God, well, I'm not worthy because they have this and I only have that. It's not like that. If you're suffering, you're suffering and you shouldn't, you deserve to feel better. So let's get that out of the way. But when you read someone's account and you're like, I could never share mine because like a a self-help book and a therapist have, you know, have rejected me. I can't just get this out into the open you know, and then you read the comments and people are like, you're so strong. You're so strong for coming out about this. But it's like, just because someone's strong enough to open out about, open up about their mental health issues, doesn't necessarily mean that they're strong enough to fully deal with them. Like conversation is such a small part of it, you know, just because someone's talking about how they feel doesn't mean that they're seeking help or they're getting proper medication or that they even have access to it. So telling someone that they're strong and to hang in there, it's just, it's just not enough. You know, it's, it's not enough. And then posting, I'm an ally. You can reach out to me. Well, most people will mental illness feel like a fucking detriment. 
You know, we feel inferior, we feel unwanted, we feel like a burden, you know, under-researched, underfunded, under-given a fuck about. So don't it's saying, oh, you can reach out to me anytime. Well, most of them are not going to, unfortunately. And that's really sad. The second pillar, oh my God, it's this is just the tip of the iceberg here. <laughs> Care and access and you know, this is where they talk about raising and donating their money to mental health initiatives. And yes, money is going into some pockets. Yes, money is being distributed. But at what cost? Bell donated, like, it's about 10 mil a year that they donate to facilities and about another one or two mil to research. Corporations are allowed in Canada, corporations are allowed to write off 70%, 75% off their annual taxable income if they donate to a charity. So this isn't benevolent. If that's your one thread that you're clinging on to, to defend Bell, this is how they make a nice juicy tax break. And annually, like in, in 2019, Bell brought in $23.96 billion dollars. And the, the statistics from 2020 aren't even up yet. This is, this is old news. And, and each year they make more and more and more. And I can imagine a year where we were all confined at home, how much their profits increased. You know, there's been a public request to see how much money they're getting in tax breaks because of these donations. And they're not disclosing that information for years in a row. So already this is nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. They're saving money on taxes with these donations. They're boosting their image. I mean, you're giving them so much free PR that's also able to cover up the travesties that they commit that we haven't even gotten into. Now, how much money are they saving on advertising? Because we're doing it for them. Well, exactly, right? And like I was reading about, they have a, a Bell Let's Talk community fund and it's all about them giving grants out to to people that are improving access to mental health care supports and services for people in Canada. And the range in grants is anywhere from five grand to 25 grand. And I just like, I can't imagine, imagine being a company that makes over $20 billion a year. And you're like, look at us, we're giving out $5,000 grants. Like, and you want me to applaud you? I'm, I'm sorry, five grand. Like, I'm like the, the, the amount of money in the grand scheme of things based off of how much they make annually is chump change every year because it just continues to seem like lip service to me. And I'll probably keep saying that over and over again. I just like the money and then the money is also, but the money is also coming from all of us who pay for their services. Right. So it's like, it's extremely frustrating to listen to this company, try to paint this really pretty picture of them doing something when you know that it's all for their own benefit. Because let's be real here, if they actually cared that much, why would it be called Bell Let's Talk Day? Why wouldn't it just be called Let's Talk Day? Like, why does your company's name have to be in the title of the day? Because it's a marketing campaign. Why aren't you, instead of donating $5,000 here, $5,000 there, why aren't you, you know, helping lobby the government to make real change in our system? Like, why aren't you... There's so much more that they can do. It's 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 not even minimal effort. It's a slap in the face. Okay. Because on top of all this, and and again, you know, I've had this conversation with people and they're like, well, this is just a corporation. What do you expect for them from them? And 
here's the issue, guys. Okay, we used to live in an industrial capitalist system, which means goods were made and we would purchase them because we need the goods, right? And now we've gone into informational capitalism. We have so many fucking goods. We have too. We all have too much shit. Okay, but we constantly need to be buying shit for the system to work. We're, so now we're not just sold the thing. We're sold the experience. We're sold the feeling over a tangible good. That's the that's secondary. You know what I mean? Before, like we used to be sold a thing, and then it went to being sold a lifestyle, and now we're sold like a solution. And and this is called this is called effective marketing, and this works so well for Bell because their product. You can't package it in like a cool, unique, aesthetic way. There's no like celebrity endorsement that's going to make Bell stand out. Do you know what I'm saying? This works perfectly for Bell because they're like, well, you know what? We have a bunch of shit we need to cover up. We need free publicity. We got to do these tax write-offs. How can we make people feel like we're so amazing? Right. So we're in this attention economy because advertising used to be about just exposing as many people as possible to your ads. Right. There used to be Saturday morning cartoons. All the kids would watch them. All the toy ads were on them, et cetera. Now we're in an engagement economy. So we're targeting and narrowing down the demographic for the brand. Right. So brands are using fucked up shit like data mining which Bell is definitely doing to you. And they're making so much money from this. And this is not disclosed anywhere in their revenue. Because every time you use that fucking hashtag, Bell sells your information to third-party advertisers who are going to buttfuck your Facebook, Instagram, whatever you use, social media platform with ads for essential oils and self-help books and and self-help blankets, okay? So that's the extra disgusting. So we're, we've gone from being a consumer to a prosumer, which means we're doing constant unpaid labor for companies and corporations and brands, right? Like a consumer just buys. They're like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to buy it. Whereas a prosumer is like going to retweet and we're going to actively participate and do work for Bell. Anytime you, you sign up for any social media platform, you're working for them. You have no leisure, Like if your downtime is using Instagram, you're working really fucking hard and you're getting paid zero smackaroonies and you're building their image for them. And like, okay, we've gone from just making people feel things into making people feel empowered with what we buy. Bell wants you to feel like choosing them, choosing their shitty overpriced monopoly service makes you a better mental health ally. It actually leaves you with like a feeling that you did something, you know, it's the new pink ribbon, you know, it's how all these corporations that give zero fucks about the LGBTQIA community give zero fucks, but they're going to plaster Listerine and shit and Red Bull with rainbows. It's just a really fucked up thing. So it's really, really nasty it's gone from like, how do my actions of how do my actions affect other people to like, how do the things that I buy, affect other people. Right. And like, I'm not going to ramble about this for too much longer because we have so much other stuff to talk about, but like corporations are trying to be like people now. Okay. Wendy's has a Twitter. Bell is like fucking telling you to be a mental health ally. All these corporations have their quirks. They have personalities, they have ethics, but we're not allowed to hold them accountable in any way because they're just a corporation. So yeah, it's fucked up. They they can, they can try to humanize themselves, but then the moment that we're like, well, 
I mean, you keep doing all this fucked up shit. We're supposed to just like let it go because they're these multinational, multi-billion dollar corporations. It's like, well, no, you guys have exorbitant amounts of power. And, and it's true. Like Bell and Rogers have this huge monopoly over the Canadian telecommunications market. It's outrageous to me that our government let it happen. And yet I'm not surprised, but at the same time, like Bell can't tell us that they care about us and then hold a monopoly over our ability to communicate with each other, you know, access the internet and that sort of thing. And, and then price gouge us on it too. Like, you know, when people have to choose between, you know, paying their internet bill or paying their, their, you know, their gas bill, like that's not okay. Like the amount of people that I talk to who are like, Oh yeah, my monthly cell phone bill is over a hundred dollars. Like I can't, like I struggle to pay that every, every month because it's an exorbitant fee. And it's like, that's outrageous. It's outrageous that you do that to people and you put people who don't have a lot of money into these poor financial situations. You force people into these poor financial situations because, because you can just because you have that power to do so. Like that to me is evil. You know, what's fucked up too, that balance tell us. Yeah. Why can't you why, like why I'm not even asking them to collaborate with like the other two providers in all of Canada, you know, and just make it let's talk day and, and do it for all networks. They can't mm-hmm. even include their sub company in this because they're so greedy. They own, but they own even more than tell us like between Bell and Rogers, the, those two companies own all of the other cheaper companies. Like I can't remember who owns which, but like one of them owns Kudo, one of them owns Virgin, one of them owns, but these two companies own all the other ones. So like they're in control of everything. Yeah. They just, they don't care. They don't care. And it's so evident and it's so painful to see it. And it's painful to see people support it. And it's painful to see people fall for it because people are like thinking that they're doing a really good thing with this. Like most people's intentions are pure when they post on this day. But bells are not like it doesn't coincide. And it's hard to see because you're like angry, but you're not angry at the person. You're angry at the social attitude. You're angry at this corporation. You're angry at capitalism. Like it's just it creates such a jumble of feelings. But these are real people like these are real human beings. And honestly, in my research for this, I came across this comment about Bell Let's Talk Day from somebody and this fucking broke me, but it, it deserves to be heard. This person deserves a voice because, oh my God. And again, if you're still listening to this and you didn't listen to all the other trigger warnings, here's another one. This mentioned suicide. Someone wrote on a Bell Let's Talk Facebook page. In year 2000, my brother took his life. The day before, Bell cut him off for missing a $150 payment he was trying desperately to negotiate. He was a mentally ill single father with two autistic children. He was calling from a payphone the day he died, but nobody picked up because they didn't recognize the number. The day after, he received the checks in the mail for $2,500 that he he had been telling Bell representatives he was waiting on. Rest in everlasting peace and power, Stephen William Mowers. Like, these are real fucking people, guys. This is disgusting. This is disgusting. This is a company that's like, tweet us, we'll give you a nickel, you know, and how many people were in this situation? This is one, just one that I happened to come across in the minuscule amount of research I did. Yeah. 
it's so sad. And, and the deeper you get into it, the worse it gets, you know, and, and, you know, their next pillar is research. And, and again, it goes back to the shit where we're, we're throwing chunk change, $2 million into anti-stigma research. What is that? What even is that? Like, you know, who faces stigma prisoners? Yeah. They're incarcerated. Let's talk about that, Sam. Oh my God. Oh my God. This just, it's so disgusting. And like, I've only, I only started hearing about it within the last couple of years. And I mean, like better late than never, but Bell holds a contract with the Ontario government that they are the ones who run all of the telephone lines outside of prisons in Ontario. The contract has been in place since 2013 and prisoners are expected to pay anywhere from a dollar to $15 for an outgoing call. And these are also collect calls. So from what I understand when I was reading the CBC article is that the person on the other end of the line is still also having to pay for this phone call. I mean, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a lawyer who was holding up phone bills in an image and it was showing that he had to pay his office had to pay between a grand to five grand every month. And most of those calls were all from people in prison. And like a bunch of those people are innocent. They're being held in prison until their trial where they're going to be proven innocent. And then on top of that, prisoners can only call landlines. Yeah. Who has a landline? Not I. So now somebody and like, let's be, we all know this marginalized communities are the most affected by incarceration rates. So you're putting somebody who's already marginalized, who is very likely to already have a mental health issue. They're now living in a prison situation, whether or not they're guilty is irrelevant in my opinion, because you're now cutting them off from all of their support system. Like what are the chances that somebody's going to go out and get themselves a landline at, because somebody went to jail? Like probably unlikely. I mean, unless if it's their parents, maybe, but like, so now you've got all these people who are cut off from everybody around, around them because you can't call a cell phone. Like, how does that make any sense? Why, why, why do you have that in place? Why is it that prisoners can't call cell phones? That doesn't make any sense. The Ontario Auditor General's 2019 annual report found that between 2018 and 2019, one third of all inmates admitted across the province had a mental alert on their file compared with only 7% two decades earlier, and that Ontario jails are not suited to provide appropriate care to the growing percentage of inmates with possible mental health issues. So Bell has their hands deep in the into the pot of our prison system, and they are benefiting from all of this. In 2017, there was a request to access of information from the Ontario government so that I believe it was the lawyer who was in the CBC article who requested the information. Um, he wanted to see information about the contract that Bell and the Ontario government share. And when he got the information, tons of the information was redacted which means it was completely blacked out. So you couldn't actually see it. And the things that were blacked out were how much Bell makes off of these phone calls, how much the Ontario government gets in a commission off of the Bell from these phone calls. And like, let's be real here. You're charging $15 for a phone call for one phone call. And how many people are incarcerated in our province alone? I'm going to, I'm going to feign a guess that Bell's making more money off of our inmates than they are, than they are raising with Bell Let's Talk Day. This is inhumane, what you are doing to people in jail. It's disgusting. And it's horrible because they, 
they charge it's anywhere yeah like $15 a call long distance a 20 minute long distance call at, on average will run you $30 and most people are incarcerated quite far away from their community so most of those calls are long distance most of those calls are to their counselors to you know like people how many people are in prison because of substance abuse issues we have a horrible opiate situation in this country they need to be talking to you know a rehabilitation facilitator like they have no access to anybody i was reading about a prisoner who was struggling with extreme paranoia in his mental health and he was constantly every day having paranoid episodes thinking that his mother is dead and he was trying to call her which cost him money and she couldn't pick receive the call and she couldn't call him back to tell him that she's still alive so many people are in that situation they literally can't talk and you have a corporation with this let's talk day that suppresses people who need to talk the most from talking it's evil it is it's it's absolutely evil and i read um i read uh, another comment from somebody in an article that they were in mental health institutions in Oshawa um, multiple times between 2006 and 2013. I believe this is still the same, but all the entire um, facility was equipped with Bell pay phones, which is very common. They weren't allowed to use the phone there. So whenever family would visit, they would literally bring them like fucking sacks of quarters so they could call them. Oh my God. And you know, this, this brought back a memory for me. I had to take my dad to um, the hospital. I had to call an ambulance once because my dad was an alcoholic and would often mix up his medications and drink with medications. And anyways, I had to, I didn't know what else to do. So I called an ambulance and just, they, they came pretty quickly luckily, and took us to Sunnybrook Hospital. And I literally like just grabbed my coat and shoes. I was about 15 years old at the time. I brought absolutely no money with me because I just wasn't thinking. And you were also 15. So like, (laughs) chances are you're not going to have that forethought at that age too, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I I kept asking them to use the phone to, to call my mom. My mom was in night school at the time. And I wasn't able to get hold of her. And I just, I needed to talk to somebody, anybody. We were in the emergency room for a very, very long time, as you can imagine. And I remember there going to the nurse and she said, you know, just use the pay phone. And I said, I don't even have a quarter. And she said, you can make a collect call. And I kept making collect calls to my friends and all my friends were fucking immigrants. And, you know, back then we just had landlines and their parents would pick up And most of their parents didn't understand English. So they didn't even understand what the collect call was saying. So they just kept hanging up. We have a city of of immigrants. We have a country of immigrants where a lot of people don't speak perfect English. And I just think about how many people have been in that situation where they don't even know what kind of call is coming in. Like someone could be calling their mom, their family member who doesn't speak a lick of English. They don't even know that they're calling. How It's just... These are things, these are the things we need to talk about, you know, not Bell wants us to talk about to make them look good. Well, exactly, right? Like, if we want to talk about mental health, let's talk about the root causes of mental health. Let's talk about racism, white supremacy. Let's talk about poverty. Let's talk about the f- physical trauma that leads to mental trauma. Let's let's talk about, we need to be talking about those things. But when when we don't relate 
the cause and the effect, then you're, we're never going to get anywhere either. Like if we're not trying to tackle the root causes of where mental health issues are coming from, then we're never going to be able to move forward as a society and help people because we're going to constantly plug our ears and be like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about racism and how racism affects specific communities and how that's going to impact their ability to be able to like operate in society. I don't want to talk about that. That's too difficult. Let's just, let's just get back to. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's not enough. And, and it's so distracting from what's actually happening because the, the way you solve any problem, any problem you have, no matter how big or how small you have to acknowledge the actual problem. And we're not doing that. And, and, and stuff like this is just exacerbating it. It's triggering the fuck out of people. It's diluting the situation. It's just like, Hey, look over there. Hey, do you want a sticker? Like, I don't want your fucking sticker. I don't want your nickels. I want change. I want a better fucking world to be mentally ill in. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and oh, it's just so fucked up. And their last pillar is where I decided I want to burn the whole building down because it's <laughs> workplace health. This is outrageous, outrageous. The amount of Bell employees who have come forward and been like, Bell has been the worst company I've ever worked for when it comes to mental health. The the long hours, the immense amounts of pressure, being reprimanded for for minor infractions, and then being paid you know minimum wage on top of all of that, and you're you're expected to just take it. I read some I read somewhere that somebody was like they keep you on as a temp for like the first year so that they don't have to give you any benefits. Then after if they decide to keep you after that year, which like let's be real here, how many major corporations hire temps, hire people part-time, fire people before their 3-month probation is up so that they can just let them go for no reason, like just to continuously not have to pay people benefits or pay people a living wage. The, the situation is so dire. You know, a situation is so dire where they can't even make it sound good on their own website. I'm going to read from their own website and you tell me if this actually sounds good. Like there's good shit going on. Okay. One in three workplace disability claims in Canada are related to mental illnesses. Bell is committed to leading by example in our own workplace by adopting the voluntary standard for psychological health and safety in the workplace and is encouraging greater corporate engagement across Canada. Since 2010, more than 17,000 Bell employees and 12,000 Bell leaders have completed mental health training. Bell's initiatives to improve mental health awareness, training, and benefits have reduced short-term disability claims related to mental health by 20% and reduced relapse and recurrence by 50%. Okay. I mean, first of all, this is just like corporate mumbo jumbo nonsense. Yeah. Like, can I just like, when I heard that they were like, we've been able to reduce short-term disability. All I heard was we were able to get y'all back to work faster. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> like what? And 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 we have convinced you to never ask for short-term leave again. Only 50% now dare to take another leave. This doesn't prove anything. Like this doesn't show anything. This just shows that you're now giving out less disability claims than ever because depression, mental illness rates have gone up. So are you saying that you're like this you're either implying that you're like this utopia bubble? 
where you've lowered it. But again, it's from corporate interest, right? One in three workplace disability claims in Canada. Well, why are we talking about dis- disability claims? You know, why are we talking about actual mental health? Like this is a conversation about mental health. You're literally stigmatizing disability claims in your own yeah, like after talking about anti-fucking stigma research. Like it's, it's bananas. Yeah. It's like, it just goes to show how they can only think about all of this in a monetary fashion. The fact that they're bringing it up based on disability claims, it's like, that's not the marker for figuring out if people are mentally stable or like are getting the support they need or, or, you know, whatever it is like disability claims ain't it like that's that's just a a drop in the pond and it's like why are you presenting this to me you know send the shit to Doug Ford like you know fluff it up a little for me like what you can't make that sound any better no you can't because their workplace situation is atrocious atrocious and and this is the only this is the only thing they could put there those are the only two paragraphs up there that's it there was um there was a specific incident that I read about where this woman who was an afternoon radio host at a radio station in New Brunswick a few years ago was fired an hour after she brought in a doctor's note saying she needed two weeks off to adjust to her medication. I kept reading the article because I was like, you know, sometimes things are like, they, you know, open to interpretation, whatever. And she said that the day before her supervisor had come up to her and suggested that she take over the morning show. So essentially offering her a promotion. And then the next day she was fired. And the only thing that happened in between those two things is she brought in a doctor's note to say, hey, I'm about to take some medication. My doctor needs to give me two weeks off to adjust to it. And that radio station is owned by Bell. Of course it is. Just like everything else is. And I was reading that um, it's just known amongst doctors as the bell effect because so many people see their family doctor if they're fortunate enough to get a doctor's note to take a to take a leave of absence because that job is so stressful and so mentally deteriorating. People have come forward saying that, you know, it, the pressure starts from the, it goes from the top down. Your manager's on your ass because his manager's on his ass and his manager's on his ass and yada, 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 all the way to the top to the fucking CEO that's literally fucking bathing in money like Scrooge McDuck. And... <laughs> You know, and and people are people have come forward and said they received emails and phones and texts at two, three a.m. on a Saturday, Sunday, from their manager, literally being like, "You're not hitting your target. You're not hitting your target." And when people come back from those disability uh, leaves, they're literally pressured to hit their targets all over again and to 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 do them faster. So it's like you know how so many people with like really stressful, high volume jobs, don't take vacation because it's almost not worth it. It's like, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to go to the fucking Bahamas or whatever, but then I'm going to come back and this shit is going to pile up and get even worse. This is the same thing. Like your statistics are just showing that you ride your fucking staff so hard that they're like, well, this isn't going to help my mental health. This is just going to make it worse. I'm going to have this week off. I'm going to be freaking out about my targets. Why would I even take this sick leave? It's not worth it. I'm just going to stick it out for as long as I can and look for another job. Hopefully they can find it. 
it's just really nasty because, you know, this, especially right now we're we're all, you know, either working from home or not working like us. We're just fucking making podcasts left, right and center. But, you know, most people are working from home and like the, to work for Bell is an opportunity to work from home. Call center work is very coveted right now. So this is an opportunity for Bell to really sink its teeth into as many people as possible and just ride them harder. But to get the accolades and the reputation, the PR of being this wholesome benevolent corporation. Hi, Bell. Like your, your fly is open. Your fucking evil, stinky corporate dick is hanging out. Fix it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you know, it's horrible. People have talked about being so stressed working there that they literally like have fucking constant diarrhea and vomit at work because it's so stressful putting in extra hours and we need to believe people. It wasn't for Bell, but my husband worked in a call center for Microsoft many, many years ago and literally had to take a a mental health leave of absence and take antidepressants for a while because it was so incredibly stressful. The volume of work that you're expected to do, it's, it's just like a known thing, you know? So to put that in your, in your fucking incentives is just, it's egregious. Well, and, and for doctors to literally label this type of workplace stress as the bell effect, like, that just speaks volumes. Like if it's known across the medical field that this company and other companies just like it are doing this to people, like it just goes to show that it's like, it's almost like Bell Let's Talk Day is like them trying to hide. Let us distract you with January 30th because if you look over here, then you're going to see all of the actual atrocious things that we're doing to everybody in this country. And it's just so little effort in this. There's so little effort because like if they really wanted to clean up their image a little bit and at least do something like, why can't you, let's say they're like, you know, mental health is a rising issue, especially with COVID. Everybody on our network introduced like some kind of free text service, you know, with with crisis counseling, like just send out a fucking text, like as a provider that wouldn't even cost them money. The only reason they're literally throwing this money and showing it is because it's going to give them a tax break. That's it. It just stuff like that really pisses me off because so many corporations guilt us into, you know, it's like every time you go to the grocery store and they ask you if you want to donate $2 to charity you donate to charity, that's, that's Loblaws' tax write-off, not yours. Yes, the the charity gets money, but they get to fucking, you know, they get to laugh all the way to the bank. It's like, I got so mad about this during the height of uh, BLM and George Floyd's protests in his honor and everything in June, all these fucking corporations were trying to be like, we're not racist, yeah, and Fucking Sephora was like, you can use, oh my God. use our points. You can use our points as a donation. And Sam, they still have it. They still have it where you can use 500 of your points. So that's 500 of your dollars that you've spent, your hard-earned fucking smackaroonies that you've spent at Sephora. They're going to translate that into a $25 donation to like the Black Justice Fund or something. It's some kind of, we're not racist. Yeah. The Sephora, when I heard about the thing with Sephora, I was like, holy shit. That is the biggest crock of shit I have heard in a lot, since Bell Let's Talk Day. (laughs) I was like, what the 
fuck is this offer? Like that, that would be like shoppers drug bar being like, use your optimum points to donate to whatever. Like in case people don't understand the Sephora point system, it'd literally be like somebody using your optimum points or your air miles to donate on your behalf. And then this other corporation gets the tax break. It's why I mean, like, I don't want to be mean, but like, how stupid do you think we are? Exactly. And like, no offense to anybody who has done it. Like, I hope you learn from what we're talking about right now that you're just being manipulated out of your own money for somebody else to benefit from it. But come on. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, people do it. People do it because maybe that's all they have. Maybe all they have is these points. And, you know, it always comes from a good place, but from the individual, but from a corporate standpoint, it's always malicious because it's always like, oh, well, this is great. Why don't we use this? Like some fucking white guy, you know, in a conference room is like, perfect. Oh, thank God that all these protests are going on. We'd be looking for a new thing to write our shit off on. And that's it. We're in this like hardcore neo- neoliberalist society where like everything is about individual responsibility and corporations just like shove, 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 shove that down our throats, right? Like we used to be defined by like where we came from, who our families were, what our vocation was, what religion whatever and now it's just like the shit that we buy you know brands just get to like fulfill this never-ending project that is the self right and it's like so fucked up because we're building their image like the most important thing for a brand right now is to have an authentic image right and you literally build that image for them like you literally you're online and you're giving them feedback by liking or not liking just by not liking you've engaged with them they don't need to have you know these market research meetings where they have to compensate people before you know do you like our gum which one do you like better does this cat like this cat food like you know this is how i imagine market <laughs> research <laughs> hairdresser give you a fucking break people but I watched Mad Men. This is this is how shit used to go down. And now it's literally like you interact with more fucking brands and corporations than real people online. It's almost like we're becoming one and the fucking same. You know, we're told to brand ourselves and corporations get to act like people, but we're held to an, an impossible standard and they get to do whatever the fuck they want. So it's like Bell, Sephora, it's every, it's not just Bell, it's so many other corporations, but when they're doing this, it's just like, don't fucking piss in my ear and tell me it's raining. Like, let's get real yeah. here. It's exhausting to, to witness it. It's hard, like that whole culture that's now been created of like that personal responsibility thing it just like adds to the mental health problem because then if you can't afford to donate then you feel guilty like you know earlier this year when there was all of when the protests were happening and and you know everybody was like donate to BLM donate here donate there I was like I don't have a fucking job right now I can't afford to donate like I would like I donated to like a few different ones but I like I just don't exist in a tax bracket or a, or an income bracket where I can just donate however I want. Like I I do donate $5 a month to CAMH. I wish I could donate more. And, you know, they call me every once in a while to be like, hey, can you up it to 10? And they're usually calling me at a bad time of the year. So I'm like, no, I can't. Like $5 is the only thing I know I can comfortably do. But it's like, that's something that I'm doing consistently because Cam H is something I can get behind and Cam H isn't out there fucking trying to pull on my heartstrings and tell me, make me feel like less of a person. Cause I can't do it. I'm donating to Cam H because like, 
full disclosure, I've been admitted to CAMH on more than one occasion. And so I see the work that they're doing. And yes, I've had some bad experiences there, but I, they've also given me like some life-changing positive experiences like that have brought me out of like deep, deep crisis. So, I mean, that's where I'm going to put money in. I'm not giving, I'm not giving money to Bell. Fuck Bell. Like, and that's it, right? Like if you want to make a difference, you can make a difference. You can make donations, but like do your research too. Like look into a corporation you can get behind uh, from like an ethics perspective as well. And, you know, maybe it is only a couple bucks a month, but it's better than, it's better than allowing a major corporation to benefit off of your pain. Yeah. And you can start small because that $5, it all adds up. Right. But Cam H is like, Hey, do you mind taking, like, if it's okay, can you make $5 cent? Like, if that's all right, if not, that's totally cool. Like we love you. Thanks. But then you have bell who's literally making, you know, billions, 23.96 billion that are like, you better not, not fucking retweet that or, or the fucking mentally ill people aren't going to get their nickels. Yeah, we we've literally created such a, a such a movement of this that when you don't retweet us, all of your friends who are retweeting are judging you silently because they're like, oh, so you just don't care about mental health. Like the only way you can show to your mentally ill friends is on this one day a year that you give a shit by using our name and doing PR for us and allowing us to fucking flick a little nickel. I just, I just, honestly, that's just constantly my visual. I'm sorry. I just keep going there. I'm a very visual person, but like any, anytime I see a post from anybody, I deleted Facebook quite a while ago. This was one of the reasons, but with Instagram, anytime I see it, I just, anyone that writes this post, even if I love you and I have no beef with you, I imagine you flicking a nickel into my face and it's all dirty. Like (laughs) That's how I picture it. It's got like gum on it from your pocket. Like, here you go. It's like when people donate fucking like expired food to the food bank, you know, it's like, it's, you know, this will help. You know, and then you have fucking like chief of police and like conservative government feeding this bell. Let's talk stuff as well. Yeah. And it's like, in regards to the politicians, you guys are the ones in power. You're the ones who are actually capable of exacting actual change to help people. Instead, you keep making cuts to mental health resources in our province or in our country or whatever. And then you've got cops who are killing people who are only in need of help when they're in a mental health crisis. They are murdering innocent people. There, there was a, a guy, I believe it was Don Drake Campbell. I'm just going to look him up quickly. But he he was um, having a schizophrenic episode and he called the cops for himself. Fuck, I can't remember the other guy's name, but it was in the fall, I believe. Kid, uh, like a young man who was having a mental health episode and he called the police because he needed help. And the cops showed up and they shot him and they killed him. And then they want to go and tweet about Bell Let's Talk Day. Like, y'all need to check yourself. Holy shit. How dare you? How dare you? The cops are the last people that should ever be tweeting about Bella's talk day. Like read the room for God's sake. Yeah. Read the room because there's so many people affected by this. That's happened to their family. It runs rampant. You know, there's a case as well this summer in, uh, in Brampton, I believe of an older gentleman who was schizophrenic 
I can't, I don't know if it's a Jaws or a Haas. I'm very sorry. Um, Chowdhury. And he, he was a 66 year old disabled man uh, who was having a schizophrenic episode. His nephew called the police, uh, you know, he called 911 because they just didn't know what else to do. Cops ended up fucking climbing through the balcony of his apartment, breaking the door down and shooting this guy. The guy couldn't stand for more than two minutes. Yeah. There's just no reason. They just, they literally murdered a 66 year old disabled man in crisis because there's no money being allocated to help anybody in a crisis like that. You know, I experienced that. I've had to call 911 when I was quite young before, you know, because of what was going on in my family. And I remember one of the times the, I remember paramedics came police, you know, firemen, whatever, but the paramedics came uh, first and they literally just were asking me like, what drugs are they on? What drugs did they take? And I was like, there's no drugs. Like, and I was about 11 years old. My English wasn't great. I only came to Canada when I was 10 trying to explain just like something's wrong. I'm not sure. And they're like, drugs, what drugs, what drugs, what drugs? And I, I was like, there's no drugs involved you know, maybe alcohol. And they just said, well, we, we can't administer any drugs. This looks like a drug withdrawal and just left. What the, oh my God. They just left. You know, this is, this is what you get, right? This is what you get. Nobody knows how to deal with this. And there's crises like these happening every minute, every minute, you know, and now during COVID was literally a, a couple nights ago, there's communal housing next door to my building. There's a woman screaming on top of her lungs. It woke my husband up. I had ear earplugs in, but it woke uh, David up. And she's literally screaming, you killed my whole family. You killed my whole family over and over again. And we heard it on the 15th floor of our concrete building with the windows closed, like screaming, you know, and, and this isn't the first time that somebody that was happening like next door to us, this is happening everywhere. You know, we have people living in tents, we have people struggling with addiction and there's no resources allocated to them. Yeah. It's good. $10 million is going to take a lot more than 10 million. You know, it's not enough. Justin Trudeau retweeting this, Doug Ford retweeting this, like they just get to enter the conversation and be an ally and insert themselves and make themselves look benevolent in a situation that they exacerbate and hurt people every minute by neglecting their most vulnerable. Yeah. It's performative. It's performative as fuck. It's like the epitome of performative. Yeah. And it's on every level. It's on every, every level. You know, you see it with, with politicians. John Tories to blame, like everybody. Like we have family doctors that are not equipped in any way to deal with mental health issues. I was just looking up mental health, free mental health resources, Ontario, before we started this, Sam. And, you know, the first thing is talk to your doctor, talk to your family doctor. And, you know, I grew up in a community of everyone pretty much was an immigrant from, you know, former Soviet Union or Israel and uh, in, in North York and Toronto and everybody would see this doctor because he was Russian speaking. You know, my dad never learned English. He worked in an industrial company. Nobody really had nobody to talk to. And everybody would go to this doctor and he just, you know, the guy just never once suggested a psychiatrist or psychotherapy. 
once for a man that had PTSD and major depressive disorder. He just, just kept prescribing him random pharmaceuticals. And, you know, and even though this person was an alcoholic that was obviously mixing alcohol in this medication, like there was just no intervention help. And this, again, is happening everywhere. And this is if you actually have a family doctor, we know how hard it is to find one in this city. Oh my God. Actually, I switched my doctors kind of right around the time I, right before I had my last crisis, but I had a similar situation with one of my family doctors where I'd come in and I'd be like, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm having issues with. And he would just give me a prescription for a pill. I'd go back and I'd be like, okay, now I'm having this issue and this issue and this issue. Like, okay, here's a prescription for a different pill. By the time I was, I admitted, by the time I self-admitted myself to CAMH, um, this is the second time I was on um, 60 milligrams of an SSRI. I was on 300 milligrams of Welbutrin and I was also taking 25 milligrams of quetiapine and uh, the quetiapine specifically is very interesting to me because I know somebody who has gone to uh, prison a couple times and I uh, was talking to them a year or so ago about their experience while they were in jail and they told me that quetiapine was like the number one thing that was getting prescribed to every inmate and it was the same dosage that I was being prescribed and at that level it's just a sleeping pill and it's a sleeping pill that knocks you on your fucking ass like you feel like you got hit by a bus the next day every day every and my doctor prescribed it to me and he told me to take it situationally for my anxiety attacks and every time I went to after after I switched away from him when I went to see therapists when I uh you know I was I saw a psychiatrist at CAMH and my my new GP everybody kept being like Oh, so you have sleeping issues. I'm like, no, I, I don't have issues falling asleep. In fact, you know, my friends make jokes that I have narcolepsy. Like it's very easy for me to fall asleep. And then I'm like dead to the world. And uh, it wasn't until I was speaking with a psychiatrist at CAMH that she was like, well, then why are you taking 25 milligrams of quetiapine? I was like, that's supposed to be like a mood stabilizer or something, according to my last family doctor. And she was like, at the dosage that it's being prescribed to you, that's just a sleeping aid. So I was on a cocktail of meds and some of them weren't even for issues that I had. Like some doctors, I don't know if it's just because of like, they've just been in the game for a lot longer and they've never taken any new kinds of courses to like understand things differently. But like there are doctors out there who are just throwing pills at your problems, not thinking about the way that they're all going to interact with each other. And, and half the time they're not even actually helping an issue that you have. And, uh, I ended up, and like, I, I would never ever tell somebody that I don't believe in medication. If you need to take medication, you need to take medication and I'm not judging anybody for it. She was like my, my psychiatrist and my social worker at CAMH, they were both like, you know, let's wean you off of everything. And then we'll decide what we're going to get you on. And I was like, okay. And because I have BPD and because of all the information I've heard about BPD, where it's like, you're never going to have a stable relationship with another person. You're always going to be this toxic person in everybody's life. There is no recovery from BPD. Like this is, this is all over message boards, the internet, everything. Like there was a point in my time in my life where I felt like, like BPD felt like a death sentence. Like I was like, this is going to be what takes me out. So as they're weaning me off of my medication, uh, my relationship with my partner at the time ended. Um, I also had a massive falling out with uh, two very close friends of mine. And I was evicted from my home of like seven or eight years. 
And this is all while I'm coming off of a bunch of meds. And by the time I was weaned off of everything, my social worker was like, hear me out. I'm going to very gently say this to you, but hear me out. You've been going through a lot in the last two months. You came in in a crisis. And then since that crisis has happened, multiple major life events have happened in your life, all while we've been taking you off of these meds. And you've managed it. I'm going to very gently suggest to you that maybe we just don't put you on anything and we see how you manage. And that was July of 2019. In November of 2019, I found a long-term therapist who I saw every other week up until up until the second lockdown, because right now I can't afford to, to see her. But as soon as I get my job back, I will be seeing her every other week again. But I, all of that happened to me. And then this pandemic happened and I was alone for months of that first lockdown. And I never, I never even came close to the crises that I was having while I was on all those meds. And I think it's so important that people understand that like finding the right, you know, the right combination of meds is extremely important. And that if you know somebody who's in the process of like sorting out their medication, you have to be gentle with them because they're going to be all over the place. And, and, you know, I'm not suggesting that everybody should be getting off of their medication. I'm just meaning more like medication can complicate things while you're trying to figure out what's exactly right for you. And sometimes second and third opinions are necessary. Maybe some doctors just don't have it all together for people. They really don't. Oh my God, Sam, like, you know, in this country, just in general, you have to advocate for your own health. You know, Canada, everybody thinks, oh, you have free health care, like everything's fine. And it's like, look, I'm grateful to have free health care. Don't get me wrong. I come from a fucking shithole country. Okay. I came here on a floating door. So I count my fucking blessings. Every I'm allowed to say that. Nobody else is. Don't you dare. <laughs> you know, I, I'm grateful to have this health care, but you really have to navigate it and you have to be a fucking fighter. And not a lot of people are. Because it's like, even with physical health issues, how many times do you hear people say, I was misdiagnosed, uh, I needed to get third, fourth, fifth, sixth opinion until my doctor believed me? How many people have a hard time proving their disability to get on disability? Like, there, you have to constantly be on top of it, right? And, and when you're mentally ill, you're always told, get help get help, you know, even like, in suicidal situations, it's always like, please reach out, please get help. And of course, yes, it's so hard to get that help, because this is the kind of fucking help that you get what Samantha's been through, you know, mm -hmm. and what we've been through, like, I was prescribed shit as a teenager that the doctor fucking prescribed under my parents names to like, so we could write it off benefits. Like it was just all so fucking sketchy. And I never, um, I was just a, a mess basically as a teenager. And it fucked with my health so much. And I never took them regularly because I was a fucking messy teenager. I, I didn't get into the habit. I wasn't explained anything. I wasn't, there was no protocol for me. So I would, you know, take my SSRIs for two days and then I'd get drunk for two days. Then I fucking get high. Then it was just a mess. And I wound up taking them very much. And I wound up issues, but there was a lot of substance abuse in my past. And I got to a point where I was a functional ketamine user for my depression because it, it worked like a look guys, I'm not advocating 
you getting illegal cat tranquilizers and using that to manage your mental health, hear me out. But that was like the one thing where I, I was, you know, I was 16, 17 years old doing bumps of K in school and doing my homework and handing it in because no medication, no other medication was offered to me. And, and I became really fascinated with it. And I really got into trying to figure out psychedelics. And and this is where, you know, this is going to be a whole other episode again, but like, this is where you get to a point where, where people give up and they start seeking alternatives and in seeking alternatives, you encounter even more bullshit, you know, where people are telling everybody to get off their meds and everybody to use this. And then, you know, then, then, then you get the snake oil salesman and, and the bullshit like that. But the fact of the matter remains is that if you go to your doctor, if you're prescribed a medication, it's most likely going to be some kind of SSRI selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor uh, MAOI, tryptamine, they all work the same way with neurotransmitters in your brain, but more than half of people that this just like doesn't work for. So doctors will prescribe that and then they'll add something on top because it's not working. They'll put you on two and then they're going to put you on a tranquilizer and they're going to put you on sleep medication. They're going to put you on anxiety medication. They're going to try to cover everything. And I'm not saying go do ketamine or go do psychedelics by any fucking means, but there's just no alternative. Yeah. And that that's it, right? Like you, people keep getting driven to like these like darker corners of, of, you know, the internet and to like find something that'll actually work for them. And, you know, some people are, are lucky and find things and some people are unlucky and, and it, and it ends in a very dark place. Um, right. Because that's, and then that's where the addiction comes in as well Is when you're, you know, you've tried, you've tried the legal things, and that's not working. And then you end up with a drug habit to try to mask the pain and the trauma that you feel. And then, you know, we end up with an opioid crisis. And again, our, our government is not doing enough. They're making cuts in the wrong places. The last place you should be making cuts to are any kind of health resource right now. It's, we are in such a dire place in this province, in this country, in the world. And it's, I just can't wrap my head around why this is not being prioritized properly. I understand because people are just dying left, right, and center. You have people dying from substance abuse and it shouldn't even be called substance abuse. People are just self-medicating. When someone's abusing a substance, they're just trying to soothe their pain. The sooner we all collectively understand that, the more empathy we can have, the more we can advocate for change. Like nobody wakes up and is like, oh, I can't wait to be a fucking addict. I can't wait to be a a barely functioning, raging alcoholic. People are just like, oh my God, it hurts so bad and nothing's helping. Maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. You know, I look back at myself at like a young age and anybody I, you know, tell my past to, they're like, what the fuck? Like, where did you find all this stuff? And I was like, I was seeking it out. I was seeking it out because my doctor wasn't helping me. I had nobody to turn to. I didn't have a school counselor And I got in my weird fucking head that I needed to get this and this and this and try this. And, you know, and if you want to find something, you, you just can. And I'm very lucky that I survived and nothing terrible happened to me, but not everybody is so lucky, you know, and not everybody is fucking white and speaks English and, you know, has some of the privileges that I, that I have in my life. But because people just give up and they find something else and maybe something works, maybe it temporarily works and they just 
and because of their trauma and there's just nowhere else to go. And then we just put those people in a different category than, than, than people on Bell Let's Talk. Like, why are we not talking about the situation of unhoused people when we're talking about mental health? Like, that they go they go hand in hand as well. If you think that the people that are living in encampments aren't suffering in some way, then you're fucking kidding yourself. And complete, it keeps missing the mark. It keeps stopping so short of everything it needs to be. Yeah, because so many people that need a voice, you know, they need to talk. They can't fucking afford a cell phone plan. They can't get online, or they're not lucid enough to. How you know how many people are having severe manic episodes and, and, you know, manic episodes aren't just cleaning your room. That's hypomania. Real Mm -hmm. mania is it's terrifying. It lasts days. It can last weeks. Even if it lasts hours, it's terrifying. The, uh, the second time that I was at CAMH, I, uh, I was sitting in the waiting room, the emergency waiting room, whatever they call it. It's like this, like enclosure in the middle of the building. There's no, access to a natural light all the doors are locked and you're like being observed by all these different rooms and things like that and you're in there with every single other person who's having a crisis in that moment and there was a woman sitting behind me and she was sobbing uncontrollably and just begging the voices in her head to stop and it hurt me so much because I was like there is nothing I can do to help you there's nothing I can do to help you and you are in so much pain right now and it's your brain that's hurting you. And it, and it breaks my heart that you have to be in this situation and just like listening to her sob over and over again for hours, just begging the voices to be nicer to her. I was like, Holy shit. Like what I'm going through is nothing compared to what that woman's. And I'm not trying to, it's not the oppression Olympics or anything like that. I just like, there are like, really severe cases out there that are not getting the the help they need and they're they're discarded they're swept under the rug and it's like the message that those people get is we give up on you yeah like you're too much you're there's too much going on here for us to even want to like try to help with that situation whatever so i do want to say to anybody that has mentally ill friends or family members, you know, what advice would you give them, Sam? How to be a good ally? Don't take no for an answer. And I mean that in the sense that you need to reach out to them. You need to look for warning signs. You need to do the research about if you, if you know somebody with a who has a mental health issue, research what that mental health issue is, research what the warning signs are for it and check in with them and check in with them regularly. And just because they tell you they're fine, you shouldn't necessarily believe them. Hopefully know your friends well. And so you'll know when is the right time to know like they're fine. They just need to be left alone. But I've, you know, I've been in situations myself where I've been so glad that my friends didn't listen to me when I said I was fine and they showed up at my house anyways and they busted down the door and they fucking climbed into my bed with me and they just held me and I just cried. And the same for them. There have been friends who have been in situations where they were like, I'm fine. I just need to be alone right now. And I was like, oh, fuck, you do not need to be alone right now. That is the last thing you need. And I showed up at their house and like, you know, maybe I did their dishes for them. Maybe I like, you know, tidied up their living room for them or something. Sometimes you need to trust your judgment that just because someone says they're okay, doesn't mean they are. And you need to 
go out of your way to show them that you're there for them. Um, and it's not just sending them a text being like, hey, hey, I'm here to talk when you want, because half the time when if somebody's in an actual crisis, they're not going to fucking message you. Maybe you they send you a text message and you don't respond for like an hour because something was going on. Who knows what happens in that hour, right? And really, you really need to be there for people. You really need to show up for people. And it, it is going to mean that sometimes you need to go out of your way, put them above all else. It's important. I think, you know, when you take a person in, into your life, into your community, whether you're employing them, whether you're in a relationship, platonic or romantic with them, whatever, and you know they have a mental illness, you have a responsibility. Like Sam said, you have a responsibility to learn and to accommodate. You can't hold your mentally ill friends to like neurotypical standards. You just can't. You can't befriend someone knowing that they have BPD, they're being bipolar, anxious, and then be like, you're so flaky. It's so annoying. You can't compare them to your other friends or to yourself, or even you can't compare one mentally ill friend to another mentally ill friend and be like, well, well, Anya always texts back, but you don't or whatever. It's not, you can't do that. You have to be an individual. And if, if you have concerns, you know, you got to talk to them, but you got to, you know, I was in a relationship with somebody that I was way too mentally ill for them to be in a relationship with me. And it was, it turned abusive and it was horrible because they just, they didn't know how to deal with my mood swings and some of the episodes that I was having. And I fucking wish they would have just walked away, you know, and just said, look, this is too much, which is still horrible and heartbreaking to be told that you're too much and you can't be handled. But if you're just staying and just being like, oh, I'm taking care of my mentally ill girlfriend, which is what that person was doing. Again, it's like Belle doing this. You just want the accolades. You want the clout, but you don't want to do any of the work. You want the gratification of being an ally. You want the gratification of being, oh, I'm so patient, but you're actually treating this person like shit and it's not okay. So we have a responsibility to our friends to be sensitive and gentle. And if you suspect that they have something, just, you know, keep that in mind. Don't discard it because most people don't want to be flaky, don't want to be inconsistent, don't want. Yeah. And I think we just need to believe people. Yeah. For me, the kind of personality I have, you know, when I first got diagnosed, before I even got diagnosed with PTSD, when I was just diagnosed with generalized anxiety, I mean, I, this was a point in my life where I was having like four, five, six panic attacks a day to the point where like flipping out and ripping my hair out. And it was just horrible. And I'm the kind of person where I can turn it on at work. Like the second I walk through the door, I'm not that person right now. This person is speaking to you. Like right now I feel so fucking vulnerable. I want to shit my pants, but like, you know, and you still see, you can hear me taking over, right? You hear work on you constantly taking over. So I walk, yeah, through I do. Door, right. You, you hear it and then, you, and then you hear my voice cracking and that's home on you and it's fucked up, but the duality of it all, but <laughs> <laughs> I could come into work and turn it on. But then outside of work, I was just this mess and I couldn't do anything. I was just in bed or having panic attacks or pacing. And it was just terrible. And I remember receiving my diagnosis and it giving me so much validation and then sharing that with people and people saying, what? 
what do you mean? And just like kind of shrugging it off or people being like, this is the worst. Don't label yourself. Like, don't say this about yourself. It's like, you know, it's like you, it's like saying, like, imagine you've had diarrhea for four days and then they're like, it's food poisoning. It's because you ate this. Here's what we're going to give you to help it. And you tell your friends, you're like, thank God they figured out why I've been just pissing out of my asshole. And your friends be like, don't say that about yourself. That's terrible. You weren't pissing out of your asshole. You're fabulous. You just got skinny, which is another episode, but (laughs) I love that we're constantly just using diarrhea as a metaphor. (laughs) Honestly, all of life is diarrhea. That's what I've learned. That's my fucking Zen Buddhist practice. All of life is diarrhea. Gosh. Oh my gosh. One thing I would like to add as well, um, and this is something I, I tell people sometimes if they want to have this conversation with me. If you are looking for a long-term therapist, the way I found mine was through psychologytoday.com. And there's this whole like, quote unquote, back pages where it's basically just a directory across for the country um, of therapists. And you can really like, there's tons of filters for you to be very specific with, um, you know, what you're looking for with your therapist, what, what you want them to specialize in, uh, what, you know, what gender identity you want them to have, if you care about how old they are, um, and, and that sort of thing. And for me, I literally, I, I pulled up like 20 different profiles and I just drafted, I like created a draft of an email and I just mass sent them out to everybody. And I, I waited to hear back and, uh, you know, a few people I heard back from were astronomically priced, you know, two fifty an hour, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I held out a little bit longer and eventually I, uh, one of the therapists responded back to me and she was a much more manageable rate for me. And, and I've been seeing her ever since. And it, it's made the world of a difference. Talk therapy. I, I don't, I talk about it all the time to anybody who will listen. I'm always just like, go to therapy, go to therapy. Everybody needs to go to therapy. Even if you're, even if you are neurotypical, you need to go to therapy. But yeah, if you're looking for a therapist, I would recommend checking out psychologytoday.com. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, you might be able to find somebody there that you can afford and that you can, you can vibe with. For sure. And also, I know a lot of us are in dire economic situations right now. I've helped a few people find therapists and you can see a therapist in training for a much lower rate. So you could do that through the Toronto Psychotherapy Network. Um, and you could also do that through the Gestalt Institute, if that's the kind of therapy that you want to pursue, just read about it first. But you could see, I helped somebody get into therapy and they were paying $20 an hour. They, they, they started out with 40, which is the reduced rate already a very reduced rate. And because this person wasn't working, they said until they found a job, they wanted to keep them as a patient, they wanted to help them and they offered $20 a session until they found a job. And this is something that I've been seeing my therapist since 2015. I see her every single week. I'm very lucky. I'll, I'll cut corners with spending anywhere, but Val, you got my money. I love you, boo. <laughs> She's fabulous. Everybody loves Val. <laughs> Everybody loves Val. I, love Val. So, I don't even see her. Yeah, so you can find a therapist in training. And like what my therapist has done for me when when money was tight, you know, I was at a point where I was like, I need to see you every other week. And she offered 
to half my rates and still see me every week until money got better. Yeah. So you deserve it. If you know, I don't want anybody comparing their problems to anybody else's and feeling like they don't deserve help because somebody else needs it more. Yeah. We all need help and it, it doesn't matter what someone else is going through. You still also need help. Yeah. We all, we all deserve to not just survive, but to like live and thrive, you know, to anybody out there who feels like their life is no longer worth living, who struggles with, you know, suicidal ideation and anything like that. I just want to say to you, I know sometimes when people say this, it's like, you can read it as, oh, they just want me to stay alive for them because they don't want to deal with like the sadness of, of losing someone, which is horrible. You know, I lost my dad eight years ago now. And it's like, it's like yesterday, you know, that, that pain is still there. And, but on top of that, the it's what's most painful is not even just missing him, but little things I'll be like, well, he could have just done that with me and he, and that would have been fun. It's like, you feel that pain in the good moments. Cause you think about if that person was still there, they'd be having a good time right now. You know, at my wedding, I'm like, my dad would have been doing fucking tequila shots with all of us. We were doing a lot of tequila shots that day too. <laughs> oh my God. I remember my mom shorts. <laughs> That's another, so that Boston pizza was live. <laughs> we fucking fired it up with that Boston pizza in my crutches, but you know, I think of these little moments and, and in these little moments, I'm like, he would have been so happy and thrived and, and enjoyed himself. And, and you can too. And you will, like, you just will, you just have to keep going because they're going to be after the shitty moment, like a better moment comes and another shitty moment comes, you know, we, we have to, we, we, we owe it to ourselves to fight. Yeah. I, I, to just like further drive that point home. Like I, have struggled with suicidal ideation since I was 15. So, you know, half my life. And I'm at the point now where I'm just like, I am so fucking glad I made it to this point. And I actually was telling Rebecca about this because um, back in like March, because my 30th birthday was coming up and she was like, oh, are you excited for your 30th birthday? Cause I was like going to go to Japan and like, I was going to take myself around Japan for my 30th and whatever. And I turned to her and I was like, for so many years of my life, I never thought I would make it to 30. I never, I never planned my life thinking that I would get to this point. Me too, Sam. Me too. I know. To hit 30 was like a huge fucking milestone for me because I was like, I never believed in myself enough to get here. And then I did. And like, the reason why I did is because A, because I tried, but B, because I had a support system. I had you, I had my friends, I had my family, I had people who wanted me to get here as well. And that's why, and that's why reaching out to your friends is so important because we all need to get here. We all need to get here. And I'm, I'm so fucking glad you're here. I don't know what I would do, like if, if you weren't here, you know, and this wouldn't exist in this, like in each moment, you know, I'm grateful to know you. And I've been the same. I've been struggling with these feelings my whole life. And I still, to be honest, struggle with suicidal ideation because when somebody that close does it to you, it's just always an option. 
And it's so fucking hard, but I know, I know that in each shitty moment there, there's all these moments like, like this, where I get to be not on the other side of it. I'm still in it, but I, I get to, to share that with people. Like I never thought that I'd be here. I'm almost 30 fucking two years old. I never thought I'd get old enough to fucking use retinol and deal with wrinkles and think about fucking RSPs and all that shit. You know, I had no saving for anything because I thought I'd just be fucking, I thought I'd fucking off myself to be honest. And here I am fucking doing all this shit that it just like, you know, talk about imposter syndrome, talk about not knowing what to do with yourself. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared, honey. Yeah. I wasn't ready, but here we are. And here you are. And you know, whoever you are, if you feel like shit, look, I just want you to know that I fucking love you. Even if I don't like you and you don't like me and you find this annoying and I find you annoying and you find me annoying, I still fucking love you. And I want you to be okay. Whoever the fuck you are, even if you're a dick, I still think you deserve to live and you deserve to be happy and it has nothing to do with me. Okay. So fuck. And I know it's, it's a shit time. It's winter. It's awful. And you know, I have no astrological advice. I don't have any fucking nice sounding fucking mumbo jumbo for you guys. I'm not going to quote any fucking magicians or anything. I just, I fucking love you. We're going to be okay. Yeah, we're, we're going to be okay. And, and that's, that's what it is. Invest in your community right? Take care of each other. Um, because as we have clearly illustrated, <laughs> the the higher things are not interested in actually the real nitty gritty, like work that it takes to keep us all here. So not meaning to like put this onto this individual responsibility thing that we were saying, you know, it's not investing yourself and investing your friends. Take care of your brain the same way you would take care of any other muscle in your body uh, or any other thing in your house. You know, you know, your brain is either your your best friend or your biggest enemy. And it's better when it's your best friend. Exactly. Any love that you give to other people, please give it to yourself. You're worthy of it. You deserve it. And, you know, Belle, keep your fucking nickels. <laughs> Let's, just Let's just talk. All right. All right. Well, love you guys. Hope everybody's doing well and uh, we'll make you laugh next time. Yeah, we got you. <laughs>